podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Peacock Streaming. The biggest sports and live events on the planet. From Super Bowl 56. What a game this is. To complete coverage of the Winter Olympics. Streaming every event, every day. It's all the unprecedented. United States wins gold. Unstoppable. Sensational. Unbelievable. Sports to love. Sign up now at PeacockTV.com. Welcome to the second edition of the Arsenal Opinion Podcast in part two of the Arsenal season. I'm here for an emergency podcast with Matt Candela. How are you doing, Matt? Very good, mate. This is well, this is an emergency, isn't it? This is an emergency. Uh, look, I, I want to I split this podcast into two sections because uh, I think there are a couple of things that we... Or three things that we've got to deal with today. Uh, like, Firstly, uh, we've got to deal with the match. It wasn't a great performance. It was miserable. Um, secondly, we've got to deal with like some of the context and I don't want to be an excuse maker out here, but I feel like there's some context that's missing a lot of, a lot of fans very eager to jump down, uh, down Mikel Arteta's throat after his, uh, after his 12th game. And then I think we need to talk about like broader questions about how Arsenal are being run and what to expect moving forward. And just, just like how all of the bad decisions that have been made over the last two years felt like they all culminated in one game yesterday. Uh, does that sound like a good plan of action? Good plan, mate. Good plan. Okay. Uh, let's, let's go back in time. Uh, so f- like, firstly, um, Arsenal set up in a very interesting way yesterday. You could say interesting. You could say exciting. You could say absolutely disgraceful, as uh, quite a number of fans have done. Like, what did you what did you think of the the starting eleven, the Arteta statement set up yesterday, and you know what were your vibes around some of the players that were either not starting or didn't even make the squad? Um, I personally was really really excited about it. Um, I've said for some time that I think the future of Arsenal is uh, going all in on youth um, and seeing where that can get us because we've tried this other approach and we've been let down so many times by the same bunch of players to try something new. So I was excited. Um, it had one eye to the future. Um, you know, you just go through the team defensively where we've been you know, so bad. Um, Kieran Tooney coming in it's good that he seems to be liked by the new manager and that that signing's not a complete waste of money like nearly every other one appears to be uh, from last year Um, Maori the centre-back I mean it was just also really good to see him getting in the lineup because we're so poor defensively in the middle um, that it's a sense that he thought that our, our, our sort of our best option was the new signing was was very positive. And then, you know, Eddie up front, I think that was again a symbol that he thinks he can be the real deal, which, you know, we're clutching at straws, but we need some hope. And um, and, and the idea that some of these players are getting in there and are, and are considered more likely uh, to help us succeed than Lacazette and Ozil and all of those lot. Um, I was excited. Um, obviously, that excitement didn't last long, but 
I thought it was a step in the right direction. Yeah, I, I know everyone thinks I'm a, a massive Arteta apologist, but I was also fairly excited about uh, the starting eleven. I think that uh, a lot of the criticism levelled uh, Unai Emery is that he showed too much respect for the senior players and it bit him hard in the end. You know, Arteta spent the last, um, you know, months on the training pitch with these players and I, I, I was... I wasn't confident, but at the same time, uh, like Arsenal, like w- all these Arsenal fans saying that the lineup was wrong. Like Arsenal haven't beaten the top six side or a big six side since uh, since 2015. You know, there, there there isn't there isn't an ideal side out of that group of players that was ready to beat Manchester City yesterday. So I, f- I found it a bit perplexing. Like g- g- you know. Am I the biggest fan of Matteo Guendouzi? Not really. Do I like seeing Granite Jacker in the middle of the park? Not really, but I like the fact that there seemed to be um, a, a, a plan um, that you've got Guendouzi to kind of break up play and you've got uh, like Jacker to like feed the ball to counter-attackers. Um, I like the fact that he loaded the, the, the front players with like power and pace or as much power and pace as, as we had. Um, but it, you know, it didn't work out for very long, but at least it was bold and innovative. You know, I'm not quite sure about Saka out on the right, but it, it wasn't, it, you know, it wasn't Nicholas Bedner um, playing on the wing. It was the most confident I've been uh, about Arsenal playing away at one of the top two or three teams for some time. And I think some of that was City were really rusty and um, we we were just able to sort of take advantage of not having any hostile atmosphere or anything like that. And you know, it literally lasted about fifteen minutes, and then and then they they turned the screw on us and found their footing, and and it was and it was and it was game over really. Um, I mean, it's difficult when you have those injuries. I saw people on Twitter saying, you know, Mari and Xhaka and left sided. Left-footed passing was a you know a key component to our game plan, um, but we we weren't at the races. And yeah, the concern is that one of the staples of all the Arteta performances has been the intensity, um, and that just wasn't evident, especially in the second half. It could have been an Emery game or a or a Freddie game. It was you know really, if we're honest, the heads went down. And they never recovered from that calamitous error by Louise. And, you know, admittedly, he compounded it very soon after with another. But um, that was the one piece that, that was a little bit concerning. It, it looked like it felt like we'd, be, like we'd been here before, as does most of being an Arsenal fan over the last decade. Yeah, it, 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 wasn't, it wasn't a great performance. And um, I'm tr- I'm, I'm, I was trying to search for some sort of logic in what we saw and you know the the lack of fans did that change things i know that arsene wenger said about the bundesliga said that you know if if uh, if weaker teams don't have fans with them it's uh, it's is you know it, it almost gives them no advantage whatsoever going into those games i know that it was an away game but i wonder whether like having no fans there at all to to cheer you on or get you fired up i wonder whether that could have been a problem um, well you know I, I started watching it and thought and it shows how quickly you can change your opinion but i started thinking for the first 15 going i think this could be really good for us because we've got this group of young players 
um, who haven't got a huge amount of Premier League experience and they're going to get the chance to, it's going to feel more like a training game, although it's for real and it's going to be a great opportunity for them. And I finished the game by going, you know what, I'm really worried because the only games that we ever win are at home. And if we, if we don't have that advantage anymore, you know, our home form could, could potentially be as bad as our away form is. Um, and, you know, the bottom line is I think it's going to be really difficult to know how this pans out. But, you know, knowing Arsenal, we'll, we'll find the worst case scenario. Yeah, I wonder if, um, you know, losing, when you're not a great squad anyway and you lose two key players like so early on, I think that that's a shock to the system for any side, especially when you'd imagine that a large part of that plan probably was geared around having a centre-back like Mari, who's uh, like very good at playing the ball out of the back, and uh, Jacker, who, you know, despite all the criticism that you know we have personally levelled at him over the last few years, is also very good at playing the ball um, through the lines. And uh, I, I was trying to search for, you know, like did did the players... Did Arteta know that the likelihood of him beating Manchester City was probably quite low? And was there any sort of consideration with that lineup to the weekend? Like, do you, if you've if you've got 10 games left to play, uh, do you sort of almost forfeit Manchester City, blood some players, give them a little bit of experience, and then have, you know, retain some fresh legs for the weekend? Like I'm half expecting. I don't, I don't, I don't think so. I mean, it's his, so, old no. bo- it's his old boss. He wants to prove a point. He wants to show improvement. It's the first game back. I think he put out the team that he thought could win it. And I think he wanted to shock them with youthful energy. But to do that, you know, you need Eddie to have a game. You need Saka to be man of the match and, you know, causing all sorts of trouble. Saka was anonymous. Eddie was anonymous. You know, uh, Willock, anonymous. So all the young players that he vested faith in, unfortunately, weren't able to... I mean, they look like little kids out there. Yeah, and uh, there's a difficult there's a difficulty with it, right? It's <laughs> there's nothing to extract from that game, really. I, I, I know that uh, uh, Arteta was uh, effusive about um, about Inketia. Uh, you know, I didn't really see it. I know that there's a lot of potential there, um, but he definitely melted into the background. But I, it was like the whole team melted after those two bad things happened to them. And ultimately, you've got to say that that kind of has been a problem throughout Wenger's entire tenure. Like even when we were a great side, you know, it, 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 all it took was one or two bad things to go and we'd have a four or five game um, terrible, uh, terrible run. It's, it's, it's going to be a big job to, to shake that, uh, that culture of feeling sorry for yourself when things go wrong because... We didn't. We didn't stand up after that. It was like after after two of our key players had gone, um, the whole team faded and gave up. Yeah, I mean, I, well, there there was a there was a time in that the very early Wenger years, ninety seven, ninety eight, where I remember going, I was going to Upton Park and uh, going down to ten men, Dennis Bergkamp over someone in the face and uh, got sent off. I think <laughs> Neil Ruddock. I can't even remember. Um, but maybe, I don't know who it was, but you know, those are the days where, you know, we could be down to 10 men and a goal behind and we'd still come back and win. And, you know, but, but now, you know, the, the slightest, the, this, the slightest 
issue and, you know, we crumble. And this is what Steve Round and Artesha have been talking about, changing the culture at the club. Um, but it's, it just runs so deep, doesn't it? And the, I mean, the mistakes by Louise were truly calamitous. And, I mean, I, I just wanted to, to, to get out of the club. I mean, I, I really feel like these types of deal where you pick up players from your rivals at the tail end of their career. We've done it a few times now with, you know, Gallas, Sylvester. I mean, they're just terrible deals. You don't let players go to your rivals for not particular, not much money if they're still any good. You just don't do it. No, even Petr Cech um, wasn't much of an improvement on the disaster class of keepers that we've had over the years. Yeah, it was um, the the but the the David Luiz thing. Uh, you know, we'll talk about it a, a little bit later on. But you know, the idea. I, I mean, the like it was nice to see Pablo Mari start. The the worry for me is that you know I wonder whether he would have started uh, if David Luiz had a, another year on his deal. But the I think Mari looked like a he looked like the kind of defender that we don't see very often at Arsenal. In that he looked quite assured. Um, pretty solid, quite no fuss, um, and it was just—it was just—it just looked great to great to see. Uh, and then we got Luis, who just looks very much like an Arsenal defender. In, yeah. In other words, capable of complete moments of madness. Generally quite likable. Pretty good with the ball at his feet, but you know, not what you need from a defender. Quite quite astounding how bad the mistakes were. Like the first one was like super Sunday league, uh, basic error. And the, the, the penalty just showcased the lack of pace and concentration and almost the arrogance. Now I was, I was worried when, um, when we signed him, because if there's anybody that can bring down a, a, a team and a new manager, it's, it's David Luis. And I felt like a few things had gone wrong behind the scenes for him. Didn't quite get the deal is a little bit, um, a little bit, you know, unfocused and it all came apart and it it came crashing down so badly and you just wonder wow this is a guy that's been to the world cup uh, this is a guy that's uh, won the biggest it's trophies a, yeah, in the a, world and it can't concentrate it's a guy it's a guy who's lost 7-1 in the world cup yeah i i i, I know but he's he's also won a he's also won a premier league he's won in france uh, you know he's won big trophies his entire no, career he's, he's he's a good player um but he needs a john terry next to him not uh Mustafi, uh, <laughs> Mustafi. Yeah, I mean, that's yeah. really that's really the big difference. I mean, John Terry will tell him what to do, keep up his ass, uh, you know, coach him through a game. Mustafi is David <laughs> Luiz makes Mustafi look look like John Terry. I know, I know. It's it's so depressing. So, um, uh, like the the also the other big concern is it's like it just it just showed you how far we've we've got to go or how, uh, how much disparity there is in the world of football, like the, the inequality in football uh, when it comes to the haves and the haves nots is staggering. You know, we're, we're one of the biggest clubs in the world and the distance that we've got to travel to get anywhere near that Manchester city side. I mean, they're, they're like, they're robotic, um, they're drilled, they're disciplined, they're fit. I mean, you just watch that football and you're like, wow, how, how do we, how do we get to that level? I mean, how much, 
how much coaching do you need to 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 bring Arsenal up? I mean, like how many players do we need to replace to get anywhere near that? I mean, it's uh, it's frightening. Well, I think um, we've been talking about it ever all the years that we've been doing this podcast, which is we need to be clear on what the objective is and what our strategy is. And then we need to align everyone in the organization around it. Um, and we, we, we're still no closer to understanding what that is. You know, we've had, you know, Emery and together we're stronger or together again or whatever the fuck it was, but we've got a total disconnect between the owners, the board, the manage, the management, the players. It's like they're not joined up and there doesn't appear to be any clear strategy. There's certainly no accountability. And the thing about it is that if we could just get everyone aligned, then, you know, you can, once you start seeing any sort of progress, you can be optimistic about the future. But right now it's just too much to ask Arteta to weave some magic when everything else is so broken. And it really does feel like everything is it's just so broken at the moment. Yeah. And uh, look, he's, um, like we'll move on to the Raul part because, you know, what, what, what more is there to say about Manchester City? They're a, they're a class act. They're a fully fit team and they're, they're raring to go. Um, you know, we're not at that level. Hopefully we're at the level of uh, being able to beat Brighton uh, on Saturday, but. I think the, the 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 bigger problem that Arsenal have got now is 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 definitely in the exec leadership, because it's it's an absolute disgrace what's going on. I, you know, I woke up uh, I woke up this morning and I was like, how how could I feel any worse about what's going on at Arsenal? And then I I saw the Kia, the super agent who represents Edu, and who represents David Luiz and Cedric Suarez is on Talksport talking about Arsenal's dirty laundry. Um, the situation from Arsenal's point of view will be resolved this week. We will find out by June 23rd. It's not just David Luiz's situation. There are several issues within the whole structure that will be resolved. Why is, what, like, what's, like, how little control has Raul got over the club that he's allowing a super agent to go on the radio uh, and put pressure on him to sign a player. It is despicable that Kia is anywhere near the club. Kia should be banned. He shouldn't be allowed anywhere near the property. We shouldn't do any deals with these players. He's got a shitty portfolio. Um, and he's just, he's, he's taken over. Like, how can you have an agent? Uh, how can you have a technical director with an agent who is a super agent? And then how can nobody at Arsenal say, guys, the technical director's agent is feeding us he's feeding us with these players and they're not good and they're costing us a huge amount of money i just don't understand the mentality of josh Kroenke or anyone at arsenal that isn't raising the biggest red flag possible to say there is problems there are problems. yeah I'm, yeah i mean it's absolutely shocking what's going on and it does feel like i mean josh must know everyone's talking about it there's no hidden there's no surprise here um, and I'm and I'm I'm amazed that he's getting away with it, but um, he is he he's he is getting away with it. That's that, that's that's the crazy thing, and um, it's it's bad. It's pretty bad. It's and and his his um 
here's what's really upsetting about it. That just because you're doing it in front of the world doesn't mean it isn't like absolutely abhorrent. Um, you, you look at our last, uh, our last two Januarys, we signed Dennis Suarez for 5 million. He didn't play a single full 90 minutes. This January, we signed Cedric Suarez, a player that Southampton couldn't believe landed a move to a top club because they thought he'd go to a lower division. We landed him, Kia. Um, Pablo Mari, listen, the jury is out on Pablo Mari. Uh, But he's only played 22 competitive games at the highest level in Brazil, of all places. And... We signed him and now he's gone. So I, I, I read a tweet today that said those three players didn't manage a single full 90 minutes between them. So we spent 15 million on super agent recommendations. And then you've got the the cloud of Amy Lawrence coming out and saying that Arsenal spent 24 million on David Luiz to re- replace Koscielny last season. Are you telling me the the best centre back that they could find in Europe for twenty four million was David Luiz. Like the the, the we knew Koscielny was going to leave for three months, and our plan was a Kia player that he shipped in for a huge fee eight million eight million pounds in transfer uh, in transfer fee. It's just unbelievable. And the the biggest problem at Arsenal, and we've had it for years. Um, is that there's no accountability, and when uh, when you're you know being looked after by Arsene Wenger, who look had his faults, and we talked about we talked about those in, in great depth. At least he's got a moral compass, and at least uh, you know at worst he's trying to do things in the correct way. Now he's gone. Ivan Gazidis is gone. They've let in the guy who you know helped broker the Neymar deal, and we all know how that ended. And now we're being directed by Kia, who has one of the most sca- you know one of the most scandalous transfers of all time on his resume, Mascarano and Tevez. Appreciate that you offered us those players first, but Arsene Wenger said no. And then what happened? So it's yeah. So that's what I wanted to ask you, Matt, because you know you run a um, a successful business. You've worked with some of the biggest uh, you know companies in the world, um, advising them, like. Why, like, like t- firstly, tell me what you think of having a two-pronged leadership team and then tell me what you think a CEO could bring to Arsenal moving forward. I'd love to hear what your thoughts yeah. are on dual leadership. I mean, I always say you can't have two people in charge. You just can't have it. But someone has to be in charge because nearly everything fails because everyone thinks someone else was going to be doing it or should have been doing it uh, or can blame someone else. So there always has to be a single person in charge. And I think that's where Arsene Wenger was so fantastic uh, in his way, because, you know, he was always, he, he, he was the figurehead. He led from the front. He always took, took full and complete responsibility for everything that happened. Even when, uh, even when it wasn't his fault, and that's what and that's what leadership is. So this whole two prong thing uh, really doesn't work for me. Then you just look at the people. You go, Raúl. Well, you know, 
his his resume was interesting. He'd been at one of the biggest clubs in the world. He'd done, he'd had, he'd enjoyed some success. There'd been obviously pieces of the story that aren't quite as salubrious, but you know, on paper, it it, it looked interesting. Um, but since he's been here, he's he's sort of blotting his copybook uh, time and time again, and it's and it's sort of unclear what he's doing. He's certainly not performing the role of CEO in that the role of a CEO fundamentally is to set a vision for a business and then to use utilize everything at his disposal to deliver against that vision. And like we said, you know, I don't I don't know what the vision of Arsenal Football Club is. It it, it makes no it makes no sense to me. And then you've got this guy Vinay, um, who I just think it's bizarre. You know, he's he's young. Uh, but he's got no real background in sport, from what I can tell. Not 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 a deep background. Um, he's got no association with Arsenal. Uh, he's not a football guy. So you go, well, that's that, that feels like a huge risk to put him in such a big job. And you go, well, you know, he just sort of comes across as you know a reasonably smart sort of MBA'd up, you know, young whippersnapper who's you know, whip smart and could do well. But to put him in that job alongside someone like Raul makes zero sense to me. Zero sense. Uh, no track record. No track record of success. Um, so he, that's just the most bizarre. He's the most bizarre piece for me. Because he's not, it's not he's like he's the CFO or he's doing some other job. You know, they're, they're running the thing together. Um, and more than ever, it's clear that, and I think you said it, and I, and I really, really, really thought it was spot on, which is we need a CEO more than more than anything. And who that person could be, I don't know. I mean, look, I don't want to live in the past, and it's never going to happen. And, you know, he has flaws as well. But someone on the thread was like, oh, get David Dean back. I know that's like a massive thing, but... Having someone who gives a shit about Arsenal, who's been there, done it, who wants to see Arsenal win desperately and will build an organisation against that. I mean, that's all we that that's all we need. Uh, and until we get that in place, we're we're not going anywhere. We're we're, we're done um, because because you know we're now at a point where you look at Edu, you're like Edu is. I mean, that just now he's thinking the joint out. You know, Raul stinking the joint out. Vinay, terrible, you know. And, you know, I always say it's, you know, having good people is, it's a bit like, having Arteta is a bit like pissing in a river. You know, it doesn't make any difference because, you you know, it's you, you, it flows against you. There's just too much to counteract. You need everyone pushing in the, in the same direction. And that's sort of the, the scary thing. And, there was the fantastic article by Amy Lawrence in The Athletic talking about Arteta magic and how he convinced uh, the, the, the performance sports guy not to go to Liverpool. He can't do all this on his own. He needs a team around him. And it doesn't feel like he's got a team around him. 
No, and, for, and you know, I loved reading that. I read that Amy Lawrence article as well. I thought it was great. You know, the the Edu, uh, sorry, that um, Arteta like pops his head in uh, into people's offices. Like he's touring all of the staff, and you know, really trying to like make himself a name within the business. And from what I understand about Edu, is he has very uh, very micromanagey about things that he shouldn't really be involved in, and not a lot of people have heard from him. Like, there's no plan, there's no vision at Arsenal, and I don't think he's been particularly impressive. And really, he looks like uh, he looks like the bag man for Raúl. You know. Well, if, the, the the other thing that's strange is you look at our strategy and you go, look, there's what's the strategy? Because Saliba looks like a, a great signing and Martinelli is a great signing yeah but then we've got David Luiz and Cedric Suarez and all these guys and it's that don't fit the same profile so so is it what we're going to do some really exciting young talent mixed with you know past it super agent so like, it, it makes but, no sense but this is what um this is partly how Raul and Edu um don't don't receive the glare that they should because people are like oh copy give it a rest mate he's he signed Martinelli and he signed Gwendozi and it's like look when you when you're doing dodgy things you don't do not everything you do is is dodgy like you know if you're a, if, if if i'm trying to use references that aren't going to get me into trouble but um like you have to disguise what you're doing to a certain degree but look look at the big moves or the bad moves that we've made and look at how bad they are like nicolas pepe can only play football with one foot and we paid 72 million for him mendez was involved in the deal and we bought from a guy who tried to be an agent um, that owned players. And then when FIFA changed the rules, he decided the best way to generate fees was to actually own a football club. So he bought Lille. And then the guy that Raul knows at Lille, uh, Mark Ingler, I believe, uh, allegedly uh, he was uh, struck off, um, you know, he was banned from French football for three months for, um, you know, mismanaging financial reporting. It's it's just everywhere, and it's so obvious. Um, but back to the um, back to the CEO part. Um, some names that might be interesting: uh, um, Hans uh, Joachim Watzka of Dortmund. It's been there for years. Uh, knows how to work on a budget. Has built a, a, a brilliant club. Um, you know they haven't won the league as much as they should have, but you know their their financials compared to Bayern are very slim. Then I was thinking about um, Ian Eyre, who um, who was with Liverpool until 2016. I believe that he was at the heart of the hiring of um, Jurgen Klopp, but also had like kind of semi success for a club like Liverpool prior to that. You got Beppe Morata of uh, Inter Milan, who was previously at Juve, like wheeler dealer extraordinaire. And then like, I, I don't know what you think. Um, and I wanted to ask you, do you think that a CEO has to be an expert in football? Like Tim Cook doesn't code. He's a logistics guy. Steve Jobs wasn't a coder. He was an ideas man. Um, do, do you, do you need that to be a good CEO or do you just need to be able to um, understand the game, create a vision and then hold people to account in the same way that you would in any business? 
I think that you, it's a good question. You know, I'd love to say I don't think it matters and how interesting it would be to bring in someone who is an incredible CEO in a different category and watch them succeed in sport because it would feel very disruptive. Um, but I think also that one of the key attributes of great CEOs is that they're highly networked. Right. And and I think that being highly networked is incredibly important in football. Networked in terms of knowing uh, the, so the, the national body, networked in knowing the other managers, networked in knowing scouts, players, uh, other groups that you need to know, um, understanding the mindset of players. Um, so, you know, I think someone with football experience definitely, definitely makes sense. Um, but I mean, you, you could ask, the, we, we've got two people in charge, one who's a football guy and one who's not a football guy. Um, you know, are either of them better than, than the other one at, at anything? Who knows? But um, the bigger do, thing is, the, the bigger question is, those names you mentioned, do we do we honestly think that Josh Cronkey is thinking like that and is thinking, you know, I, that's the scary thing. I don't think they think like that. I don't think they're looking at other clubs. I think that the aperture that they look at Arsenal is so small and i think that is a big part of the whole problem yeah and i just can't understand um the mindset of the cronky family it's like you could turn this club into an absolute star of world football if you made some solid hires if you um held raul and edu to account or just got rid of them and and did something smart i mean i was absolutely horrified to see the uh, Ivan Gazidis, um, who's had a disaster at Milan. You know, he's put Maldini in place and it's been absolutely horrific um, over there. But he's finally making a good decision. He's taken something that I wrote on the Grove like before Arsene Wenger was fired and he's going to hire Ralph Rangnick. And the thinking there is clearly, you know, the Italian league is super, super slow. We're going to bring Ralph Ranić in, you know, one of the um, the leading guys in high octane pressing football, one of the most connected people in the world when it comes to like you know building uh, you know youth out, and he's going to put him in Milan, and it's 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 just a great smart decision. Ralph Ranić is almost CEO material. I mean, the way that he's overseen um, the Red Bull franchise, you know, he's got a club in Brazil, he's got um, a club in Austria. Like it's a it is it, it's a fantastic. Set up, and you're like, that's the sort of vision. I, uh, there's a there's a brilliant article for anybody listening. Just type Ralph Ranick and the Blizzard into Google, and then read the article. I put it on the Grove a number of times, but Ralph Ranick explains the vision and the philosophy at Red Bull, and it's phenomenal. They want to play um, high octane football. They believe in pressing and getting the ball back after three seconds. They want to get players between 17 and 23 so that they can train them up. And then they're, they're, you know, the, the way that they keep the business going is they grow incredible players, sell them high, um, and then reinvest that into the system. And you're like, Arsenal don't have that. No one has ever articulated 
what the Arsenal vision is. And I heard that the the, the PowerPoint presentation that Raul presented like eighteen months ago that was that was just the dregs of Ivan Gazidis. Wasn't even his work, allegedly. Yeah, I can't imagine uh, Raul staying up late on PowerPoint, uh, bang, <laughs> no. b- banging out something original, sweating. Yeah. Um, so I think uh, I think we need a new CEO, and then I think um, I, I think the, the the broader concern is like how how do we now navigate this season because I was super positive before the Manchester City game but now when you look at it we've got four players that are going to have contracts that expire in the next two weeks so Suarez Mari um, David Luiz and Ceballos so potentially they could all go if um, we don't renew them then you've got um, our best young player Bakayo Saka who little bit of exclusive intel. Um, Arsenal have been um, training him in all sorts of different positions and apparently he excels as a number 10, which is uh, which is interesting as we're having these problems with Meza Ozil at the moment. Um, then you've got Aubameyang, our best player. We want to keep him, but we haven't put a new deal his way and it was, it was noticeable that he wasn't quite himself the other night. And then you've got a whole host of just absolute fucking shit in the squad um, that you're going to have to play because you're, you're losing players left, right, and center. Like, how does Arteta navigate us to the end of the season? I mean, what do you think? I mean, we, I know what, what we said we'd do, which is use COVID as, a, as, a, as an excuse. Not that he needs it and not that he might even want to use it as an excuse, but just to shred the squad and start from baseline. And, you know, I think the next step is to take a season like Chelsea did last year. Probably minimal investment. Uh, blood the kids, uh, you know, keep the transfer kitty, like not even keep, just just balance the books and play the kids for a year, I think is is, is what he's going to be doing. I don't think there's any other option. Um, and maybe, you know, if we could bring in one signing who could just shore up the midfield and we've got Saliba in central defence and we have a good preseason and we do a lot of coaching and and that's it. I think that's the season. I think... It's right there in front of us. I think it could be... I, I wouldn't be surprised if we got Thomas Partey or something as our one signing. Saliba comes back. You know, we finance it by selling everyone else. <laughs> and uh, and we go from there. Yeah. I mean, and and, and that's the, the, the big positive underpinning. Like, we have the right coach. I feel like we've got the right people in the back room. I feel good about Shad Forsyth. I feel good about the analysts that we've got at Arsenal. And I feel great about the youth players. I know the club is super excited about um, Smith Rowe. Uh, I know that Saliba is getting rave reports in from from France. You know, I think Debussy plays with him, so he's obviously feeding that back into the Arsenal camp. And then you've just got a whole bunch of players, and like, who knows where they're going to end up? Who knows what the you know the peak for Martinelli is, uh, for Saka is? Who knows what these young kids that we haven't seen yet are going to do? So there's great opportunity, but you feel like um, Chelsea Chelsea did such a good job. Uh, you know, Petr Cech apparently um, was the architect of saying just take the band see how it goes with the kids because they believed in the kids and then invest their money this year i mean could you think of a more perfect 
strategy save your money and then a global pandemic happens and the 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 bottom of the market drops out and you can go and sign two or three world-class players for the same amount of money that we spent on nicholas pepe scary isn't it and they're they're gonna be right back up there next well i don't think they will i think squad wise they will but i think i mean i don't i don't think lampard's just got it but maybe he'll prove me wrong but it's a good squad now, right? It's 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 a good squad, but they but they yeah. had better they had better senior players. Well, they had better senior players, and this is the question that I want to ask, which is: we are blinkered about how well, no, not we are, are we blinkered about how good our young players are? In the senses, are they any better? Are they are they genuinely better than Chelsea's young players? I mean, I'd argue, no. I mean, Tammy Abraham is better than Eddie Nicotier at the moment, isn't he? Uh, would you say? Um, would you say Tammy Abraham's? Uh, Tammy Abraham's is probably better than Martinelli as well, right? I mean, Martinelli yeah, struggled with yeah. consistency. Yeah, and then you know, they had that kid come on against us. You know, he was about eighteen, playing oh right back. God, he looked phenomenal. That young, you know, but they also had yeah. that young, uh, that young holding midfielder. The, the Scott Scottish is he Scottish? Yeah, just uh, and yeah. just spraying it around uh, like Tony Cruz. Yeah, so so you know they don't have to. It's not in their DNA to go on and think that all their youth players are the next Cesc Fabregas. That's what we do. But and this is the big question. This is the big sort of question slash concern I have, which is we're pinning a lot of hope on youth because we get excited about it. But are they really? Is is our project youth really? you know, the best young players in the world. Because, I mean, I think Chelsea's young players, they might well be better than us. Yeah, and I think um, I think if there was anything that we learned from the Project Youth era, it was never fall in love with a youth player because you, oh, know, you, you know how the story ends. Like so many talented players that uh, we used to watch the videos of when they were at Barcelona. Remember Fran Morita and we hit him in the mountains? Well, he, even the ones that, even the ones that, had world-class performances in an Arsenal shirt, you know, at Oxlade Chamberlain against AC Milan at home, Jack Wilshere, you know, uh, Theo Walcott running the length of the pitch against Liverpool in the Champions League, to, but it's back in the game. Uh, you know, mesmerising young players, you know, Aaron Ramsey in his pomp, uh, Great memories, great players, players who at 18, 19, 20, 21 were putting in world-class performances, which of them became world-class players. Yeah, Sesk, that's it. None of the others. I mean, Theo Walcott is a bum. I well, he is now, rude. but I mean... I mean but, but, you know, he's he, he should be in his prime. Was he 29? 29-30? I mean, he's he's just a nothing player now, and it's uh, he had so much potential. Do you remember him when he was 17 and we took him to the World Cup? Yeah, well, you know, even a couple of years after, even that, when he when he did his knee ligaments and he scored like, you know, what, 15, 16 goals by Christmas? And then he and then he did his, he scored a couple of, scored against Spurs uh, in the FA Cup, went off, you know, put his fingers up, to signify what is it two one or whatever, and then uh, you know it was out for six months, and you know he he, he was just very very. In- you forget the role that injuries played in that. Yeah, that's very true. 
but I think that you know the there are there are positives to be had. I, I mean, it doesn't take long to get back to having an exciting, young, youthful team. But I think the you know like Dortmund show it time and time again. You know, they build these teams and then they rise, and then they lose two or three amazing players, and then bang. <laughs> You've got Haaland in your side. But I, I, like Arsenal need to get a reputation for great coaching and um, we need to s- shift our focus. Like Our, our, our summer was going to be Willian. Like another another thirty two year old from uh, from a team on the way out, and it's just uh, it's just got to stop. Um, but I just don't know whether the Cronkies. I mean, I know they're having all sorts of problems in LA at the moment. I just don't know whether there's going to be a uh, what there's, there's going to be a, a, a moment, isn't there? Too many too many big names are leaving Arsenal at the moment for the the alarm not to be sound. You know, not not to be let off. So. Well, I wonder if Aubameyang going might actually be a good thing for us. Um, you know, it's almost uh, the match that could light the whole thing. Yeah, or um, or I, I also wonder whether um, and, and just you know one thing because I know that you were only uh, supposed to come on for forty minutes, but just uh, just one parting thought um, before I hand back to you. But I thought it was very interesting that. Uh, like I wrote about the David Luiz deal last year, and uh, that he was, you know, I'd been told that Arsenal, Arsenal people knew that he was on a huge deal and 200k a week, and then the Amy Lawrence came, and and I was I was told that it was a 40 million dollar deal, 40 million pound deal, um, but I didn't know that it was just one year. I think it was like all in. It was going to be a high number, whatever it was. Amy Lawrence came out and she nailed the number, and then Kia came out and he threatened legal action and i was i was like why why would an agent come out and threaten legal action for a fee of six million seems really odd and i don't know whether you noticed this week a few things happened um kia was very confident that david Luiz was going to sign a new deal for arsenal uh last week came out and he said on the radio this week um the the athletic wrote a gushing piece about arsenal and they had direct quotes from edu and edu was talking about like how arteta inspires him to sign players and then they do the data and the rigor um and then raul seems to have pulled the deal of david luis so i wonder whether there is starting to be a reaction and maybe head office are like you know we're going to sniff around and we're going to ask questions like how did you come to this deal what made you agree that particular fee what happened here what happened here so i wonder whether there might be the rumblings because if we know anything about billionaires if donald trump is anything to go by they don't like being mugged off <laughs> right no completely and um look i hadn't thought of it that way but Hopefully that is that. It could also just be a general tightening, you know, post, you know, COVID tightening of the belt, preserve some cash uh, and the like. But what's clear is that there's now going to be uproar if he signs any sort of extension. That just shows how fickle we are as football fans. (laughs) A couple of mistakes in the game and we don't want the guy anymore, but... Yeah, yeah I, I like him and I think he's good. You know, I think he's, I think he's good for the club. I love the way that he speaks, but... You you can't be putting a hundred twenty thousand a week contract in for a player that makes mistakes like he did against Manchester City, and he did that. He did that in the first five games that he played at the start of the season under Emery. He did. He didn't did. give away a penalty. Didn't he get sent off? Yeah. Yep. Oh, anyway, um, predictions for the Brighton game. 
we got to win. I'm going to go two one Arsenal. I think it's going to be tight though. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go. Um, I'm going to go one nil Arsenal. Drab performance, but we uh, but we sneak it. Um, okay, all right. Well, that felt therapeutic. Thank you for that. Yeah. No. Uh, hopefully that was. Uh, you know, the worst of the second half of the season. And now we can look forward to a few solid wins. And if there's anything we know, you know, we like to moan as Arsenal fans, but we're all still an optimistic bunch. We're all still hoping that we can put a decent run together. And, you know, let's face it, we're always going to lose to City away. Exactly. Uh, a big Enketia It didn't finish. even matter. It didn't even matter. Like uh, Arteta said, it was an accident. I love that excuse. I love that. Um, Okay, Matt, thank you for coming on. Really appreciate your time. Um, We will be back, um, probably joined by Ash on uh, Monday to discuss the Bright game. So, uh, shout them out. Streaming the world's biggest sporting events, exclusive originals, and the latest movies. This February, we've got Super Bowl 56 and the 2022 Winter Olympics. Peacock Original Bel Air from executive producer Will Smith and Westbrook Studios. Damn! Plus tons of new movies every week, including Marry Me, starring Jennifer Lopez and Owen Wilson. In theaters and streaming only on Peacock, Valentine's Day. With all this and so much more to love, sign up now at PeacockTV.com. Sports Social Podcast Network.